0: Okay, good afternoon. This is Richard Hsu, host of Shoe Untied. Today I'm very pleased to have with me is my guest Rob Townsend, who's a partner at Morrison Forster. Rob, welcome to the show.
1: Richard, thank you very much for asking me to join. Uh, I look forward to to having a conversation with you.
0: I do too. So So tell me, Rob, you obviously have a very successful practice at MOFO. You've been here a number of years. Tell me a little bit how you got started in the Valley and maybe how you got started into the world of M&A.
1: Sure. So I, uh, I joined MOFO in 1984, fresh out of Stanford Law School. I picked the firm because I was motivated by two things at the time, none of which included technology or the Silicon Valley, but rather I'd spent a lot of time traveling and living overseas before law school. And I knew I wanted to have uh, international practice as part of what I did in my career. And I wanted an organization that uh, cared about the community more broadly, invested in the community, had a uh, interest in developing its people and and uh, people I enjoyed and look forward to working with. And mm. so for those two reasons, I picked Morrison and & Forster and joined the San Francisco office because it was one of the very few firms headquartered in this area that had offices outside the United States and more of a International cross border practice. Mm.
0: Well, is that your practice now? Is it? Is it? Would you characterize your practice more as an international cross border
1: practice? It's both. I uh, I'm happy to have a combination of global clients, having lived and worked overseas for a good part of my career uh, in my younger days, and uh, also. Uh, representing some of the largest companies headquartered based here in the San Francisco Bay Area, many of which are in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Now, how did you end up getting into specifically M&A? Is that something you wanted specifically, or did you kind of stumble into it? How, how did that sort of happen?
1: Uh, I would say it's more the stumbling route. Um, I, uh, When I joined in 84, our firm, like many's, many firms, had a uh, broader business practice. So I started doing what I thought would be the most interesting international work, namely syndicated international lending transactions for banks that no longer exist today, like Crocker National Bank. Uh, I found that work was uh, a little less interesting, to put it mildly, than I'd expected. So I um, I started looking for alternative things to do. Uh, I put together uh, some of our firm's initial venture capital forms in 1985, 86, did some work on IP, related matters and really got a, a um, exposure to the tech sector and decided that would be an interesting part uh, of what I want to do as a career. But at the same time, I had just finished an IPO in 1986 for a carve out from McKesson Corporation, a very large company based here in San Francisco, and was weighing whether I wanted to do securities work when the fellow who is a Uh, A senior partner who managed our firm's business department at the time came in and asked how I'd feel about moving to Manila, Philippines, where our firm had uh, established relationships with the new government there, Corazon Aquino, who'd come in in the departure of Ferdinand Marcos and suggested that I would have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to work for a year and a half in Manila. Hmm. Uh, So I ended up moving with my wife, who was seven months pregnant at the time, to Manila, Philippines, where I developed my own practice, my own office representing foreign investors in the Philippines, and had the time of my life there. So that really kind of opened my eyes to other possibilities. Came back here in 1988. During that period of time, uh, our clients out of Japan were active uh, in M&A around the world and buying up many companies, so I slotted into that work. And that was my first real exposure to doing um, primarily M&A work. I enjoyed it immensely. I liked the pace. I liked the process. Uh, At that time, I enjoyed as a senior associate the ability to kind of manage a large team of people who are providing differentiated expertise to the client and feeling responsible for pulling all that together, managing the process and Negotiating the transaction with, with other parties, and that's really what kind of sold me on M&A. Hmm. Well,
0: it sounds like you work in a number of different industries, but tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of the, maybe some of the larger industries or the industries you tend to work in most commonly and maybe which ones you like better or not as much or, and so forth.
1: Yeah, delighted to. So, uh, predominantly uh, what we call TMT, which is an acronym for Tech, Media, and Telecom. So, I've done a lot of work for major technology companies here in the Bay Area, companies like VMware. Uh, Intel, historically, uh, and uh, others. And then I have done work for the tech sector, I'm sorry, the telecom sector, primarily through our relationship with a company out of Japan called SoftBank, which today is one of the largest investors in the tech and telecom sector in the world. And I helped them um, acquire a controlling interest in Sprint, one of the four wireless uh, carriers here in the United States in a deal that the uh, Wall Street Journal called one of the most complex and interesting deals in M&A history because we had topping bids uh, on both the acquisition of Sprint as well as Sprint's acquisition of a controlled subsidiary called Clearwire. So it was truly a, a five ring circus in in pursuing that transaction and have stayed involved in, in that sector as well, the telecom sector as a, con- as a consequence of that. Mm. Uh, So that's the predominant sector that I work in. But I also do a good deal of work in the wine industry. I have, over the years, uh, based here in San Francisco in close proximity to the Napa Valley, had the pleasure of representing a variety of clients uh, in the wine sector and having sold off almost all of the smaller publicly traded uh, wine companies to large foreign acquirers or large U.S. acquirers who came in to consolidate the industry Uh, Those deals are a lot of fun. It's a whole different uh, group of people, uh, and uh, the closing parties are fabulous. Um, (laughs) And the other thing that's fun is that uh, a lot of people like to talk about wine, so being enmeshed in the wine industry, of course, is a great topic of conversation when you're doing deals with tech, media, and telecom people. Mm -hmm. And then the two other industries I work in are financial services and fintech. Fortunate to have clients like Visa and others in that area, and then um, healthcare and life sciences through clients like McKesson and, uh, and Kaiser. Hmm.
0: So. Well, it sounds like a really broad practice. You touched on a couple of sounds like a pretty big highlights, the, the living in Manila. You talked, touched about the Sprint deal, which sounds pretty exciting. Anything else that when you kind of look back kind of leaps out of your mind is something that kind of stands out among all the deals that you've done?
1: Well, no doubt the Sprint deal is one of the highlights, but there are a couple others that were um, particularly noteworthy uh, and fun. One is in the wine sector. When I was a senior associate, we represented uh, an organization called the Christian Brothers, which was uh, owned by De La Salle Institute, which is a religious organization that runs schools around the world, including uh, St. Mary's University in Moraga. And they had a, a iconic figure in Brother Timothy, who was one of the original um, developers of the wine industry in Northern California. And uh, the Christian brothers had received advice that they ought to sell the wine and brandy properties and, and stop relying on that industry, which is fairly volatile, uh, to fund their global schools and instead sell those assets and buy a, a basket of securities and have a more predictable stream of income, so we were hired to represent them in an auction process to sell the business, and uh, I will never forget going over to St. Mary's and meeting with the brothers in their religious um, habits and talking to them about an M&A transaction, which was far outside the norm of their life, and then asking Brother Timothy to join negotiations with the sophisticated international beverage companies that were vying to buy their property, and, and asking him to come to the meetings and Sit quietly in a corner, and then if if the other side were asking for things that we didn't think we should agree to in the deal, to look up at the heavens and keep his hands in his lap, and then <laughs> gently uh, shake his head no, and and I figured that would dispose of most of the issues, and it did. Um, so that was great fun. And then I also had the the crazy experience when I was living in Tokyo, Japan, of representing a consortium of international lenders. This is this is two decades ago. Uh, just after the Soviet Union had uh, had unwound, and we we were developing a, a natural gas pipeline project in Turkmenistan, which is one of the former Soviet republics on the border of Afghanistan, and that that project had many many challenges, like how you could build a pipeline through the uh, through the minefields, literally, of Afghanistan, and and more importantly, how do you pull together a an international consortium of people from Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Japan. Uh, United States of America and in Korea, which was what our task was, but we did that and we had reached uh, an agreement with the representatives of the Turkmen government uh, to sign a concession agreement to develop that project, and we were all flying to the capital of Turkmenistan for a signing ceremony uh, and had some forewarning that it may not go as smoothly as we might have liked uh, because UNICAL, the primary project sponsor, had been down this path before, So uh, a team of the lead lawyers came on the trip uh, and we were met at the airport when we arrived at 3 o'clock in the morning by the representatives of the Turkmen government who informed us that we had just a few more issues we had to negotiate and was in fact their attempt to change some of the key provisions of the agreement. So as we were getting off the plane, the government representatives shuttled the lawyers into a conference room at the airport and sent our clients and senior officials to the hotel to sleep. And we spent the next six hours being confronted with demands by the government representatives, uh, all of which we rejected, which resulted in them saying uh, that that uh, the deal was off unless our clients were prepared to sign the document prepared by the government. Um, we, uh, we went back and informed our clients, uh, said, don't worry, we'll be with you when when you get to the government palace. We can tell you which document you're being asked to sign. So we get to the government palace later that morning, and again, we're shut out. The lawyers are not invited in, so we ended up watching on TV as our clients were asked to sign the documents. They were fortunately were asked to sign our documents, and so that was was all well and good. Um, They came back to the hotel. I got a phone call an hour later from the representative of the Turkmen government who said they wanted to sit down and begin renegotiating the deal. So, um, (laughs) you know, you see... You see uh, you see some very interesting uh, transactions when you do cross-border work, and it's one of the real joys I found in my career.
0: Well, it's clear, obviously, you enjoy this practice very much. Is there something specific about M&A or the nature of it that really kind of gets you excited or makes it fun for you?
1: Um, well, for me, it's, it's two things. One is just the pace. I... Uh, I find I like the um the rapid pace of an M&A transaction particularly a public company transaction where once you engage you're you're racing against the clock to try and get a deal done before uh there's a leak and people in the public find out about the pending transaction and and that appeals to me I'm a I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie mm. and so um I like that part and the second part is Often, not always, but in most deals, it feels like a constructive process, particularly when you're working here in the Silicon Valley with tech companies. Mm. You feel like it's not a zero-sum game. You feel like if you do the deal well and you combine the resources and the creativity and the technology and the marketing opportunities of, of companies, you really can spur growth and opportunity and develop products, if done right, that will potentially help change the world. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Now, you've obviously had a very successful career. What do you? What are some of the key things you sort of attribute some of that success to? Is it certain mentors? Is it just luck? Is it certain things you did deliberately or opportunities you chose? I mean, how, how would you
1: attribute some of the, the you know, the attributes of your success to? Uh, is all the above an option? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was blessed when I first started here to have some mentors who um, uh, were critical in my my development as a young lawyer, uh, people like Marshall Small, who um, is a um, is a legend in our firm um, and contributed greatly, uh, I had great fortune in terms of opportunities being made available to me like the one I described in moving to the Philippines early in my career, which taught me a lesson, which is if I didn't develop a practice, I was going to have to go home and I really wanted to stay in the Philippines, so I learned about marketing, I learned about the importance of how to present yourself and and uh explain to clients the differentiated expertise that you could bring and and convince them that you uh you were the person to take the problems off their cho- their shoulders and and solve them for them going forward um and uh, I found that I really liked M&A and I was passionate about it and that at the end of the day is is one of the um, pieces of advice that I always give to young lawyers is that uh, if you truly want to be successful in the practice of law and and help build a business and, and build a firm and and work on meaningful and, and uh, interesting projects, that you need to find an area of the law that both interests you intellectually, fits your skills and your proclivities, and that you're passionate about mm. because to really succeed in what is, in fact, a very competitive business uh, with a lot of very smart and talented people – you need to be passionate about it. You need to be able to get up every day excited about what you're doing, excited about the prospects of the next project, the next litigation, the next transaction, whatever it is that motivates you and and really appreciate the client service side of that and enjoy a role as a trusted advisor to people, your clients, who ultimately are making the hard decisions at the end of the day.
0: Now, Rob, I know you're a very young man, but I'm just curious. Is there anything else that I know you love what you do, and it sounds like you're going to be doing it for a very long time, but is there anything else that you could ever see yourself doing or would want to do in addition to having this successful legal career in, in your future?
1: Well, you know, Richard. Um, before I started this, I had, as I said, traveled a lot internationally, and I had done a lot of uh, of uh, pro bono work in the in the international development and in human rights area. And I always thought that I was I was going to uh, spend two years at Morrison and Forrester, and then go off and and <laughs> quote unquote save the world and do those things. Uh, and one of the things I've liked about Morrison & Forster is I've been able to do some very interesting um, work in that area, in the pro bono area, while I'm here. And that's been an important part of my career as well. But I, I've said to myself, when I do get to the point of retiring, that I should probably take six months to a year and do very little so I can reset my own values and expectations and figure out what I'd like to do with the, hopefully, other half of my life. Um, and uh, so it's still... TBD, but I'm sure I would like to have a component of that include getting back to doing some of the the um, international development and and uh, and global work that I was doing before, and then uh, I have an interest in the wine industry and wine practice, and so part of what I'm hoping to do as well is to um, to um, develop some uh, business in the wine industry and and hopefully have that as as part of the. Kind of broader um, scope of what I do later. And then no doubt there'll be a local community oriented uh, pro bono uh, component to what I do as well.
0: So. Well, Rob, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you ever do decide to do something other than MA, you'll have to come back and tell me about it.
1: Thank you. Uh, I appreciate your inviting me on uh, the show and uh, enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. This
0: is Richard Chu and Rob Townsend. Thanks.